Welcome to the Athlete Plus Network. I'm Kevin Carr, industry professor at the University of Florida, and I serve as the host of The Hit Show, How I Transition, a podcast devoted to talking to the athletes on the field, quarter track, and the people behind the scenes who support these elite athletes, teams, organizations, and their stories to educate all listeners and advanced athletes in the profession of supporting athletes. Today, we are so delighted to have our guest, Stacy Garcia. Stacy started as an intern with the LA Clippers and continued to rise working for organizations like Magic Johnson Enterprises, as well as talent producer for the best damn sports show, period and moving up further in her profession to working with the coveted NFL Network as a talent producer and began her entrepreneurial pursuits working with the startup Uninterrupted, yes, the company owned by LeBron James. And finally, she has landed a coveted position with the Spring Hill Company. Yes, she is quite a dynamic person and we're <laughs> delighted to welcome to the show, Stacy Garcia. Thanks, Casey. Good. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. We we love having you here. This is like one of those rare opportunities where we get to have people who we love uh, here. They get to show us, you know, uh, a little bit about their world and what they do. So we're excited about, you know, where we're going to go today. So please sit back, relax, folks, grab your popcorn. Stacey's about to come to the stage and tell us all things great about how she transitioned itself. So. My first question to you, Stacey, is who is Stacey Garcia? It's a very loaded question, but immediately um, a God-fearing woman who is a daughter and I have two younger sisters, the oldest. I am also an aunt to a five-year-old a nephew and a three-year-old niece who are my everything and just a good friend and confidant and you know a professional in what I do and much who I am. Very simple. <laughs> keeping it so, so modest. Oh, my goodness. So I hear you and I appreciate you for keeping your modesty there with that being the case. Well, talk to us a little bit about what was it like growing up in your family? You said you were the oldest. So talk to us about what it felt to be the eldest child, but yet still grow up with great family. I mean, let's be honest, you know, being the first child um, has its, its advantages and it has its disadvantages. The disadvantages are you have you have to lead the way in all the rules. <laughs> so your parents have never done it before. And so like you are the poster child for what's right and what's wrong and how they're going to parent. So I had I grew up in a very strict uh, Hispanic Catholic family. So you can only imagine the the, <laughs> the handcuffs I had on and the rules that I had, the curfews, I mean, just everything. And there's six years in between my middle sister and then there's 12 years in between my me and my youngest sister. So there's six, six, and six. Yeah, it was very um, structured. I, I did grow up in a, in a very, very small beach town called Aptos, California, predominantly white. And I say that because then I went on to go to UCLA, which was a huge culture shock for me. <laughs> but yeah, I was, you know, I was a swimmer. My mom got us all, all three of us got involved in swimming at a very young age. Took that through high school. My, my youngest sister actually went to um, school on scholarship for swimming. So yeah. that was really important in our family. You know, my parents were together until I was a junior in college and that's then they had separated. So 
I had the whole family unit in in the home as I grew up. And I was the first one in not just our immediate family, but in the entire family to go off to college and graduate from college and get a four, you know, at a four-year university. So uh, there was, needless to say, there was a lot of pressure put on me for good grades, mm-hmm. perfection. My mom was a perfectionist. And it's funny because I now see myself and her, you know, in everything that I do today. Um, I always remember, like, why is she cleaning before the cleaning lady comes? <laughs> and I do the same thing now. <laughs> just those little things. And it's just like, you know, so, um, but yeah, it was leading the way as far as the college space and also trying to be a role model for my sisters. Uh, as you can imagine, I left, I was, I started school year early. So I left the ha- my home at, at 17. I just turned 17 wow. when I graduated. Wow, that's early. Yeah, so my baby sister was five. I, you know, I did, I missed out on on you know her upbringing, but thankfully God has a way of bringing us back together. And I stayed in LA after college, and she came to LMU. Mm. So um, we got to you know make up for lost time um, down in LA. What a great response to your family, and I do know it's like to be the first in the family to go to college and graduate. That's a huge thing. Everybody's looking at you, so it was a lot of pressure. But you seem to handle it well. You talked about swimming and getting involved in activities. You have definitely an affinity for sports. It seems like your career has gone that way, but when you were younger, when did, when did you develop that love for sports and that attraction to it because you now are one of the, the top people in like blending sport and entertainment. So talk to us about that. When did you know you had a love for sport early? Well, the funny thing is, is that I was not into sports at all. Like we grew, I grew up in a house. My dad loved the, the Celtics. What it's crazy because we were like close to, I don't say Bay Area, but we were close to the Warriors. And he loved the 49ers. And my, the middle sister, we call her Jojo for Joe Montana because at five, she had an arm. She just had this pistol. And so that was his, you know, tomboy where he was able, they would sit and watch sports. And I was at the beach with my girlfriends, like had zero interest in sports, zero, like maybe negative five. And then when I went to UCLA, um, I joined a sorority and my dad, I remember him sending me a check in the mail and he was like, it was $86 and he was like, you're going to buy season tickets to the basketball team because UCLA has, you know, this esteemed program and you're going to really enjoy it. And I was like, no, no, I'm just going to be the sorority girl. And he was like, I will give you a hundred dollars if you go to the game and you don't like it. He's like, but just appease me and just go to a game. He's like, I'll even do you better. I'll come down and go with you. So we went and it was like, Oh, this is social. This is like a social hour. Like this was, you know, like, so it wasn't about the, the game on the court, but it was like about socializing. And then as time progressed, our, you know, my school, UCLA, we won the national championship in basketball in 1995. Wow. The same year we went to the Rose Bowl, which it was still was, that was like the granddaddy of them all before BCS came along. Who was there? Give us a name or two on that team, that national championship. So that, that basketball team, and I'm still friends with these guys to this day. Ed O'Bannon, Charles oh. O'Bannon, Toby Bailey, Chris Johnson, you know, totally. Tyus Edney, Cameron Dollar, Bob Myers, who's now, you know, the GM of the Warriors, mm-hmm. who was the 12th man on the bench, <laughs> Kevin Dempsey. And then on the football side, we had a vicious running back, Skip Hicks, mm-hmm. and Kid McNown, we're coached by Terry Donahue. Oh, and wow. So you were there doing some good times, for sure. Yeah. 
So it was like, how could you not get involved? So I always went like we'd go to the games, like football games. It was a social thing. And it wasn't until my junior year that one of my sorority sisters, she couldn't go. She was a student recruiter and she couldn't go to the game. And I was happened to go, was going to the game. And she's like, could you fill in for me? Could you fill in for me? I'm like, sure, no problem. I already, I'll be there. And so I remember sitting with a family during the game. And afterwards, I, apparently they gave great feedback to our director of recruiting. So he asked me if I would have interest in my senior year being a part of the program. Mm. And so that's where I then started to get involved on like the business side of the sports rather than just going as a fan. Wow. So and, yeah, the rest is history. Yeah. So good old dad. He knew what he was doing. Yep. He, yep. He, he, he says, he, uh, I, owe, <laughs> I don't owe him my career, but yeah, he was, he jump started it for sure. That, that's that wisdom <laughs> that, you know, you got to give it up. Dad saw something, he knew it, and he, he pushed you out there and you just you took it from there. So good, good old dad. Thanks. What's your dad's name? Hank, well, Henry, what we call him, we call him Hankster the Gangster. The man is 83, almost 84, and he, you'd think he was 28. I mean, he, and we're just like, Dad, you need to retire. Like, he's in the movie theater business, and he's finally, in November 10th, he's been in the movie theater business for 60 years. <laughs> and he's finally, yeah, finally, finally going to hang it up. So. Hankster the Gangster, we applaud you for pushing her out there and getting her. Uh, into this industry and being a leader for all of us. Shout out to Hank. So we appreciate you. (laughs) The question I got for you next, uh, when you were younger, what set of experiences really helped shape you to kind of push you into this area of wanting to be better, wanting to challenge yourself? You know, what can you say, like, got you going early in your career? You went to college. I mean, sometimes people don't go but you had the motivation to want to go somewhere with yourself in your life. Talk to us what your younger self. I mean, it was just my parents. I mean, I mean, let's just be honest. I and mean, they, as I said earlier, you know, it was my mom's perfectionist. And I think too, was very, education was very important to her. And it's my dad as well. Uh, but my mom did not graduate from high school. So she got her GED because she had to take care of her younger siblings because her mom worked in the lettuce fields from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Wow. Never knew her father. And then she ended up meeting my dad at my dad's first movie theater. So she was 19 and he was, well, well I won't say how old he was, but he was a little bit older. <laughs> <laughs> and she worked for him behind the concession stand. Mm-hmm. She just instilled in me like, you know, you have to be great. You have to be able to um, have good grades. You have to be able to be a leader. You have to be able to really just lay the foundation for, as I got older, you know, for my sisters, you need to be the example. And so it was always about like, you know, why did you get that B minus? Like, you know, so there's always incentives of like for academics and then also for sports. Cause you know, I was, as a freshman, I was on varsity swim. So I had to learn how to balance and be time management very early on in, in my life with, you know, having to be at practice at 5 a.m., getting ready and going straight to class and then having practice again after class, after school, and then going home and doing your homework, you know, and still like that, you know, our family was, didn't matter if practice went till eight or my dad was at the theater until nine. We sat down as a family at the dinner table. Every night? And that's one thing. Even late? Every single night. Every single so night. So you were eating at 9.30, 9 o'clock and dad rolls up. And yeah. I mean, most of the times, most of the times it was between like seven and eight. Mm-hmm. And there might be some times where my dad's like, I'm just not going to make it home until like 10. Yeah. So but that was rare. And so, you know, that was very important. And we would all, it, you know, there's, there was no cell phones. There was not, you know, none of that. Mm-hmm. So there was just regular conversation. Human being conversation. That's a lost art. So 
definitely fundamentally one of the things that we don't do as much. And, you know, around the dinner table, all kinds of things happen and people talk and you hear some of the reinforced stories that your parents want you to hear over and over. But at the same time, you get to unload and hear what happened in your day or your sister's day. It's an awesome, awesome experience. Definitely. Mom sounds like she was not one to, she one to reckon with too. So what's your mom's name? Olivia. Olivia. Same shout out to Olivia. We, we, we applaud you both for raising such a, a great daughter. And actually, let me just say one thing, because even though she didn't end up graduating from high school, she then at the age of 55, she had taken some classes at a community college just for the heck of it. And was like, I really want, you know, I really like the school thing. And so she applied herself. And so she ended up going um, to UC Berkeley and graduating at the top of her class, spoke at graduation and had two majors on top of that. So. (laughs) Wow. She's not one. To, uh, she's one to reckon with. That's awesome. Good to, to get to know you. Got great models. So you, you are a Bruin fan. You went to college, got a BA in sociology. Now a lot of us go to college to get that degree in the area. What led you into sociology, and how has that kind of helped you deal with people? Because we know socialization is huge now. Social media, all that. Well, it's interesting. I actually went in as a business economic major. The UC system, and I'm not sure if it's still up to this day because it's eons ago, did not have a business major. You had to go to a, a Cal State school in order to have, major in business. You know, at the time, I thought I wanted to follow my father's footsteps and be this businesswoman and this entrepreneur. And then all of a sudden, I, I got my syllabus and I was like, Hmm. Econ 101, Econ, I'm like, uh-uh, no. It was like, I would say like 80% <laughs> economics and 20% business. So I happened to have a class and it was Sociology 101. And I cannot remember the professor's name, but I just remembered that I loving that class. And yeah, so I was just like, let me, let me take some more classes and see, you know, if this is something that's going to be, you know, right for me. And it was, and I was lucky and fortunate enough that there was actually a business there, it was called a business emphasis, but it's technically a business minor. So I was able to still have that business component in addition to uh, my actual degree in sociology. So yeah, it was just, it was just I enjoyed the classes. I, and at that time, I was like, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. <laughs> and I, I started to like PR and communications, like as I started to get older, meaning like in, in, my, in my college years. And I actually did an internship in the PR department for, it's no longer, they no longer exist, but it was called the LA Blades, which was the LA a roller hockey team that was at the forum. <laughs> yeah. Roller hockey? So okay. I'm not sure okay. how many people in here are Lakers fans and have, you know, watched the documentary, the 10-part documentary called Legacy. But as you saw, Jeannie was tasked with bringing in all these additional events outside of Laker games in mm-hmm. order to make money for the forum. And so, you know, there was a tennis association and there was all these things. And one of the, one of the teams happened to be this, the L.A. Blades. Oh, uh, cool. What a good story. Good stuff. Good stuff. When you, um, when we first met, I'm going to fast forward us up here. We first met, we actually met at NBA All-Star. Do you remember the city? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. Philadelphia. Oh, okay. <laughs> Philly. That's right. All right. Good one. And you were working for the Magic Johnson Foundation. How, how did you, uh, how was that job for you working for one of the biggest names at the time in sports? And then at the same time, you, from there, 
we made a transition into the talent industry. So talk to us a little bit about your time at the Magic well, Johnson Foundation. Let me back there? up a little bit because this is a story that I want younger um, students and just younger people to hear. Hmm? And so I worked for the Clippers and then I left the Clippers after a season. I was an intern and then okay. I was actually originally a game night intern. And then they offered me like the full-time internship, which was like you were full-time. You were a regular employee. You were there at 8.30 in the morning. You were leave at 5.30 at night. And I was making $25 wow. a day. <laughs> $25 a day. So if you do the math. Good old clippers. Yeah, exactly. And then on game nights, because you're there from 8, 8 a.m. until 11 p.m., sometimes midnight, as you know, I made $35 a day. Oh, so wow. my parents said, yeah, my parents said, I mean, I wasn't even making enough, enough in gas for to pay gas, right? And so my parents were like, if this is really truly your passion, we will support you for one year. You know, so yeah. they paid my rent, they paid my car note, they paid all that stuff for one year. And so the LA Arena Company started, and that was uh, overseen by um, Tim Lywicky, who was the president of the LA Kings at the time and worked for Phil Anschutz. Fast forward, long story short, or short story long, as E40 loves to say, <laughs> I left. Uh, Mitch Huberman, who was the vice president of marketing for the Clippers, was like, you got to leave the organization. I'm leaving. <laughs> There's a good opportunity. Mm. You'll be the receptionist. And I was like, I did not go to get my degree to be a receptionist. But you know what? I was like, I, I had a longer term uh, vision versus just me saying, I'm going to answer these phones. So during that time, Bertrand, Magic Johnson walks into my office because he has a meeting with Tim Lywicky to see the plans for Staples Center. That Monday, Kevin, I can't kid I kid you not, that Monday I'd given my resume to one of our mutual friends and he was going into Urban's office. And I said, please give him my resume. He said, you want to work for him? I said, yes, I want to get back in basketball. And so he took it on a Monday. He called and let me know. He dropped it off. I said, well, what did he say? He's like, he wasn't, or Irv wasn't there. I just gave it to his assistant. I'm like, you never give it to the assistant. It's going straight in the trash. <laughs> This is a Monday. Mind you, I've never met the man before. I've never seen the man in person. That Friday, he walks into my place of employment. I'm like, okay, God. <laughs> but I can't say anything because, you know, right. I'm, you know, I'll be very unprofessional. So I'm like, it is what it is. That night, I go to the Laker game. And I remember it's crystal clear. Who they even, I remember they played the Warriors. I left at the end of the third quarter because I was going to a birthday party. I leave out the forum club entrance. There's only one other person that's coming in this way. And I'm going out this way. And it's Mr. Johnson. And he does a double take. And he's like, I remember you from earlier today. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and so uh, I asked him how the meeting went. And I actually said, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you my resume is in your office. And this person, da, da, da. he's like, you want to work for me? Give me your card. And I was like, I'm going to the Raiders game this weekend. I will call you first thing Monday morning. And I was thinking, yeah, right. Lo and behold, 8.06 Monday morning, I get a phone call. Yeah. And so seven months, I volunteered for foundation events. He had me meet with the president of the foundation. He had me meet with the president of Magic Johnson Enterprises. All to see how I'd mesh because I would, would have been at the time the first non-Black employee mm -hmm. hired by his organization. Mm -hmm. And so evidently, I passed the test and <laughs> they created a position for me because it wasn't even a position. So they created assistant director of public relations. Two weeks before I start, I kid you not, the director quit and she moved to New York. Oh, wow. And I'm like... I was promoted before I even started on the job. I'd never written a press release in my life. I was only an intern. And now I'm like the director of public relations for one of the most recognizable men on the planet. No doubt. And so I was like baptism by fire. So, so you were like about to faint, but you were really excited and nervous. And what, what happened from there? 
Yeah, it was just, like I said, baptism by fire was just in that time too. This was 2000. So, you know, people have, you know, are just getting familiar with the internet. Like I had never written a press release. I didn't know these outlets. So thankfully I had a mentor um, that helped me and like helped educate me. And I'd go over to her house and she, we'd, you know, we'd go over everything. And Alicia Buford, you know, she was very, very helpful in my first year. So I was very overwhelmed. I was, you know, drown- even though I was a swimmer, I was drowning. But I proved myself to the point where then he threw another thing at me, which was like, and now you're going to be um, also responsible for cause-related marketing. I'm like, cause-related what? Like, I had no idea what cause-related marketing campaigns were back then. Another thing I had to research and you know do all this. And it was probably one of the most difficult yet rewarding jobs I've ever had. Um, and also just being exposed to so many people during that time. And that's where I met, we'll get to that in a little while, but that's where I met Mav and LeBron and Rich and Randy and, and Mama Glow, Gloria James during that time. It was, and I'll be honest, like, and this isn't shocking, to, you know, it might be shocking to the world, but not to like you and, and people in the industry. Mr. J is very demanding. And it was, you know, I don't want to say to use the word difficult because that has a negative connotation, but you, he challenged you. I mean, and high expectations point. for everybody and everything. everybody. And to this day, uh, he's still the same way. So he sets a level of expectation for himself and you are right there with him. I loved that period of time. We did such a, you guys did such a great job. I was at the NBA. We were working, uh, just kind of getting NBA cares going. I wasn't fully baked. And you guys came in with a program. I'll never forget it. It was you, Kiwana, and it was, I think, Tuolumne. And I think. Come on. And I was somebody, help me out. Is there somebody else? Tuolumne. Yes. Tuolumne, Austin, right? Yep. And you guys were such a powerful group. And the program was Know Your Score. It was one of the things I thought was so unique about you guys were this business, but you took so much care. Mr. Johnson putting this big issue out there about Know Your Score about your health. And obviously teaming up with the NBA, you know, what a match, you know, made in heaven. And you guys just knocked it out of part. We were so impressed with you guys. And that's why I stayed in touch with you. You made an important mark on me because I had people in my family who dealt with diabetes and prostate and stuff like that. So it was really like one of those things where social cause marketing was really at a high. It was a fantastic program. I don't know if I ever told you, but that made a huge impression on me that you guys care so much about health. And we were really way before all the social responsibility has become such a big business. You guys were already doing. Yeah, that was a, yeah, that was a great a great campaign that we took um, to every All Star. Well, that I was there, um, and and also did some smaller smaller campaigns, not na- you know centralized in different markets. So, and hopefully, um, you know, we've saved some lives. And I, well, I don't I don't say hopefully. I know we did save some lives that we would get you know these letters and saying you know because of your impact and or because of the program you know i went and got tested for the very first time and i you know these were the numbers and so you know reflecting back on that it was very rewarding to get those those letters and and you know because otherwise they would have never known you know they could have lost you know easily lost their lives absolutely when we think about what you transition into next talent producer talk to us about what is a talent producer and you became one and not a bad one at that all the yeah. success 
you have been part of things like Beyond the Glory, 10-time Emmy-nominated series. You were a talent producer for the Best Damn Sports Show, five-time Emmy-nominated, and then in-depth with Grand Bessinger. Like, so was it like to be a talent producer? Tell us what that is. And then mm-hmm. with working behind all the scenes of all these people, like your hard work does pay off. I mean, look at behind you. You've got these Emmys going off. So talk to us a little bit about what's a talent producer and then for all the work to be nominated and to get Emmys. How, what's that feel like? So it was interesting because I had a, a, a meeting with Mr. Johnson and there was just there's only so, you know, glass ceiling when you work for him, right? And you can stay and, and, and be great and just, you're just doing the same thing over and over. He was like, you should go start your own business at that time. He's like, you could take me as your first client and yada, yada, yada. So I did. So I actually, we had a charity event that actually benefited the the foundation called Midsummer Night's Magic Weekend. And that's where I had LeBron play. Oh, I remember those. Yeah. Yeah, it was a whole weekend full of festivities, Mardi Gras, comedy shows, parties. Oh my gosh. Really good stuff. Yeah, and then it culminated in this lovely basketball game. I did that, and at the same time, I've gotten a call from Fox for Best Damn. And I had Mr. Johnson on there a couple of times promoting Midsummer Night's Magic Weekend, ironically, and said they were looking for someone to come in and book talent. And I was like, I've never booked talent. Like, yes, you have. You booked booked the weekend. You booked all the – not the weekend, the musician, but you booked the weekend (laughs) of Midsummer Night's Magic. And so I went in and – I started off like just doing two, like freelancing just two days a week because I was still doing some stuff with Mr. Johnson. And then two days turned into four days and then four days turned into here's a full-time offer. And so I just couldn't pass it up. It was, you know, I was 28 at the time. And um, this show was one of the top, you know, well, second year. So it wasn't the top show yet, just yet, but it was getting momentum. So I came in and I will never forget the first person I ever booked because they, they, you know, they started me in slow. Um, was Sony uh, Sony Vaccaro, and okay. we were, we're talking about about Adidas, and then we needed him. Yeah, yep. big time. And I went to I hit up uh, Ed O'Bannon because I knew Ed and it was tight with Sonny. And I'm like, you get Sonny on the show, like help me out. And I was able to get him on. So they're like, oh yeah, see you got this. And I was like, oh you got cool. Oh. Yeah. So, um, but what to answer your question? We serve in well, talent producer serves in many capacities, like. You're booking talent, but you also know, you start to know the right talent to book. And what I mean by that is like, there might be someone out there. I'm just going to use it because we're in the world. Well, I don't know, but you know, like we'll use the World Series right now. There might be like Manny Machado, you know, you see the big faces and the big names, Manny Machado and Juan Soto. And, and not to say this about either one of them, I'm just using that as an example. Maybe one of them's not, they may be a superstar, but they might not be good on camera. So do you want to put someone either in a chair with these big personalities of a John Sally and a, and a Tom Arnold and a Rodney Pete, and then they're just there like, you you know, so you have to be able to identify the right talent to book. And then also um, you handle everything from logistics, from getting them booked, getting them there. I mean, getting, do they need car service? Do they need uh, travel? Do they need, are you working through their agent? Are you working through the team? Are you working through them directly? You know, is there any payment? Now, obviously, typically now, then there's no payment. Now what I do, obviously I'm paying someone almost every day because I do brand deals. Are, are they on there? To, is The Rock coming on there to promote Black Adams? Is uh, Gabby Union coming on there to promote this? Like having, getting 
the writer getting the assets to then we can also, you know, put the trailer up while the, while they're on there talking with the, with, you know, the hosts and the guests, anything and everything that requires to get that talent in that seat and for them to have the best time is what, you know, a talent producer does. And then, then some, like if we're in the field, you know, best in sports show, we always were on the road, whether it was for NBA all-star for super bowl or for just big uh, major sports temple events. So you're also field producing. You know, and so, yeah, there's anything and everything talent. And then you're also working with your own talent that you have, right? The John's allies and the, and the Chris Roses and, and them um, and making sure that, you know, they show up to the production meeting on time, that they have their notes, that they, you know, get to hair and hair and makeup and wardrobe on time. So you just, you know, they don't just all of a sudden they just appear in these seats. You know, that's also something that, um, you know, would fall under myself or, you know, a talent producer. I love the response because now it kind of sets us up like, you know, you have these unique skill sets. So what are they to, to really support uh, getting the right people there to do the job? It sounds like assessor of people is a big deal in your business. You have to be able to figure that out, who best, what best. And then what are the challenges that come with, you know, getting talent, being a talent producer? I mean, fortunate enough, I can say that I haven't had that many, like, Everyone always like, who's the best talent to work with? And who's the worst talent to work with? Well, I have three talent that are the worst to work with, but I will not name them. Please, <laughs> uh, please, please just, tell us not. <laughs> I'll just say like being like just a complete diva, being, being rude, being disrespectful, being disrespectful to the stage managers, just, and just being just, yeah, just late and within expecting like, okay, not, I'm late, but let me, I'm now, I'm not, it's time for me to go on the show. It's time for me. No, no, no. You're now that you're late. You threw everything off. So now we are, you have to, you know, and then just having like literally tenter tampons, like little kids. I think that's, that's, you know, I mean, I guess everyone's not perfect, you know, including myself, but I mean, there is supposed to be a level of respect. You know, you read these articles. There's an article today about a, a high profile late night host talent. And it was egregious. I mean, it was how much this person is a jerk. So that stuff gets out. It eventually will get out, you know, just be a good human being. I mean, we're there. We're, we're a platform for you most likely to be either promoting yourself or promoting your project, promoting your album. So, you know, there's no need to be disrespectful. And I think that to me is, uh, I just, I can't tolerate that. Great points. And one of the things that I think that helps is there are people who are listening, particularly the people behind the scenes who work with athletes. You're working with athletes, so you're really letting them know how to talk to the people about, you know, if you're an athlete, these things are challenging. What do you think makes a great support person who works with talent or who works with athletes? Well, one thing uh, I will say for certain is you have to understand their, like their idiosyncrasies, right? So are they moody? Like knowing when to back off and just let them be, right? I'll give you an example of like Jalen Rose. Like Jalen will say, you know, and I'm, he's like my brother. And he will always, you know, he's so great of always giving me my props. I don't necessarily think this, but he was like, you know, you were the one that started my, my media career. You hired me for Best Damn Sports Show. You saw something in me before anyone saw anything in me. You helped get me my broadcasting agent. So also just sitting down with the talent and being like, what is your, what are your goals? What are you, what is your vision? What, what are you trying to get out of this? Are you trying to get fame? Are you trying to be a, a realist, like a, a journalist? 
Are you trying to be a host? Like there's so many things in this talent, in this talent space. You know, Michael Strahan was another one. We got him on Vestam very early on. Mm-hmm. And now you can just see, you can like that being in this field for so long, you can identify someone that's going to be good on, like that's good on camera and that can have longevity. You know, there's some big names like, I mean, and they know it. It's not like saying anything out, you know, that, that is not public knowledge, but like, you know, and Emmett Smith and uh, Jerry Rice, they were amazing on the field. They weren't so great doing broadcasting. They weren't so great, you know, in city, sitting in and in, in, in analyzing in a studio, right? So you take Tony Romo and you put Tony Romo on a desk. I guarantee you're not going to say Tony Romo is as good as he is in the booth. Gotcha. So you have to identify like who makes what sense, you know, on the desk, in a booth, you know, on the sideline. Because you're right. not none of those things are the same at all. You know, like an Aaron Andrews. Aaron Andrews is phenomenal in the field. She would probably be bored to tears if she was sitting at a desk. And you wouldn't see, you know, you wouldn't see that, you know, her interaction with the players is also too what makes her so special. And a lot of these, you know, Rachel Nichols or, you know, Marie Taylor. And so, you know, I think that you have to talk to your talent and sit down and say like, okay, this is what it takes. These are the assets that are needed for, this is what is needed. Or, or you know, they might want to be executive producer. They might want to be, you know, behind the scenes, um, even though they, you know, were in front of the camera during their, their playing career. It's just making sure that you have that conversation with them and, and helping them lead them where you see their talents and, and their capabilities and their passion, to be honest. Because I mean, if you're not passionate about it, you're just doing it for a check. It's going it's, mean, to, you're not going to fool the audience for long. So true. And with that being said, we even have, you know, people like athletes who may be emerging and starting to kind of come into the space one day where they may interface with you a lot earlier because of the current state of name, image, and likeness now. You know, how do you think those athletes will um, need to get ready and be ready for a platform like what you do? How would you talk to them and tell them? what they need to be preparing themselves for. Well, another good example is um, the athlete's maturity level. And I say that because we had a talent um, at Uninterrupted that had a podcast early on in his NFL career. He wasn't good. Mm. And he wasn't focused. Um, and now let's fast forward four years and we have a, we ha- we're doing another podcast with him. He came to us and you saw the difference. You saw him as someone that was passionate about wanting to do this and about owning, having ownership of his own show, mm-hmm. which is so very important because when the athlete feel female or male, they feel that they have ownership in it, that, that their name is on it, that they are invested in it. You know, we have a podcast right now with Amon Shumper. He came, his, he and his agent came to us with the idea. It took about eight months to bake from you know, pitching it to us, doing a, doing a pilot, you know, identifying the themes, identifying like, what is the focus of this podcast? We can't just be all over the place. Um, what type of guests do you want? How involved do you want to be in the guest booking process? You know, what is the cadence of the show? Just how often are you going to be available? Like all these things, you can't just be like, oh, I just want to have a podcast. Like what's, who's your target audience? Who are you speaking to? You know, and, and there's, so when you have someone like that, and it's gold. It's easy. He makes your job easy. But like I said, you have to really, really be, really be invested. And especially too, because most likely the podcast or 
show isn't the only thing they have going on, right? You know, Andrew Hawkins is someone that I, I admire who is better known as Hawk. You know, he, you know, he started off in the NFL. We didn't even start off in the NFL, didn't make it. He's five foot seven receiver and was, you know, went to Canada, started like really actually started his with the show called Fourth and Long with Michael right. Michael Irvin mm-hmm. and was a runner up. But this man, he was not about to give up. Long story short, he ended up getting an NFL contract. He played for, I think, for like seven years, um, made a lot of money during that time. He, during that time, though, he was at the Browns and LeBron was playing for Cleveland. He didn't want to meet LeBron. He was determined to meet Maverick Carter. And so when he met, finally met Maverick, he was like, I'll work for you for free. This is an NFL player making millions of dollars, people. Wow. And was like, I want to learn the business. Wow. And so Mav was like, okay, fine. Like we had an NFL player as an intern who had on top of that was, well, he was playing out when he interned for us, like it was during the off season. During the season, he was getting his uh, master's at Columbia. So, you know, graduated with a 4.0 and then went on to become like an advisor for us. Now just launched this, you know, this, this video game in conjunction with the NFL. So it's like, those are type of people that, you know, are going to be successful in everything they do. Because they're doing it for themselves and no one else. I love like the in-depth you went in there because that really helps the people who work with the athletes, but you're also helping athletes. That's why I have you on here. This is why she's on here, people. I keep telling you, she is dropping dimes here. So you've had a chance to work with a lot of awesome people in sports and business. What is it like to work with? LeBron and Maverick. Come on now. Everybody wants to know what is that like? You have like help from sort of this new uh, age of sports and entertainment media. You're working with two of the biggest names, if not the two biggest combinations of sports and business people who I know, which I met both in high school. Maverick was actually in college. And LeBron was coming out of high school being a McDonald's All-American. We began to talk to him and player development at the NBA. I saw Maverick interning and he was having those conversations with all kinds of people like George Raveling and, you know, um, Lynn and Nico and such. And to see him where he is now, it's amazing. But obviously LeBron, 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 you actually sit down and talk with these people and help them grow you know, this new vertical of Spring Hill. Talk to us about what it's like to work with them and talk to us about the work that you guys are doing. Well, I won't even just specify those two. I'll just say um, also just in greatness, like, you know, Mr. Johnson and Shaquille O'Neal and, you know, Kobe and, you know, now LeBron and and Mav. All those names that I just mentioned, I mean, it's a term that we use internally, but all strive for greatness. None of them have any laziness. There's not a lazy bone in any of their bodies. And it is about, I think it's just competition within themselves, right? So um, they challenge themselves on a daily basis to be better than they were yesterday. And I think that kind of just like exudes off into into the, the people that are around them. And so um, like Maverick will always say, like he'll empower people to run the business and that are smarter than him. Like his word, one word is curiosity. Like he's always like, I'm curious. Like I want to know, I want to know everything. Like that's why, you know, ask us a thousand questions and he implores us to do the same. Um, and so I think that's really important when you have leadership, 
um, where he, you, you know, I, I mentioned it the other day, like you not only empower us as people, but also you empower our feelings. And what I mean by that is that our company culture is so great that, um, you know, for instance, we just shot an episode of um, The Shop with Kanye. And everyone knows it was out there. We made a public statement that we, we chose, we elected not to air the, the episode, which was going to be our finale because a lot of hate speech and it just didn't align with our values um, as a company. But I would say 99.9% or probably 100% of the people that are part of our company are also had emotions about it. And Maverick was aware of that. And so, um, you know, he empowered people's em- emotions when making that decision as well. So, um, you know, sometimes you can work for these big corporations and you never hear from your CEO or you never see your president, but like he's hands-on in everything, um, which I feel is, you know, a good attribute for his success. But I think that's an attribute for any leader's success is to always, you know, empower their employees and their people. Um, because then, the, you know, they're going to want, you know, they're not going to say they're going to want, but they will work for you, you know, on holidays, on weekends right. and giving up some of their personal time because you're part of growing this company and you feel empowered as such. So, you know, not to say that like an ESPN or a Disney or a Fox doesn't do that, but I think that there, you know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people. We're still considered a startup, I believe. I think it's like a, once you hit like year 10, which is crazy to me, but, you know, I've been with the company for over five years now and just to see the growth of the company and, you know, us leading the way in the industry, you know, you, you take pride in that, especially when you're one of the first employees hired, you really take pride in that. I love that response because, you know, oftentimes people wonder why organizations are great. And part of it is culture. Part of it is leadership. Part of it is feeling appreciated and respected, whatever level you're at. And, um, thanks for like, you know, sharing that part because you, you are making history there. Like literally you're showing more than an athlete more than just what you came to do. I love some of the things that LeBron has stood for when people sort of doubt of him and say, hey, be quiet and, you know, shut up and dribble. He's like, what? Nah, we, we have way more than that. And he's not just talking about it. He is doing it with the amazing team. Rich and Randy, shout out to you guys too, because they have all, when you think about athletes and teams, one of the things, and this is sort of like one of those off-the-cuff questions is, what makes their team great? Like, you see athletes not doing as well sometimes. Why, why have they kind of stayed together for so long and done such great work? What is it that those four have decided to do? And longevity, you see longevity to some degree has worked to their advantage. What are, what are they doing that a lot of people aren't doing? who pretty much have the same opportunity, but what 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 is special about them that makes them unique? Because they all seem like they're winning now. Yeah, well, it goes back to LeBron, right? In the very beginning, and I, you know, I hate to be like, I sound like a broken record in using this word, but he empowered all, all, all of them, right? So Rich went and worked um, with his agent and Mav interned at, at Nike and, and Randy was there as the older statesman, you know, guiding LeBron. Mm-hmm. And I feel that, Everyone had their own, had and to this day has their own lane. Mm-hmm. So there isn't any competition. And, you know, it's very, those lanes are very clear and concise. You know, Mav is the CEO of Spring Hill. Rich is a clutch. Randy is LeBron's chief of staff. 
And I feel that everyone respects one another. And I don't, there's, I don't feel that there's any ego amongst them. And that one word is what can destroy someone's team, mm. right? Is an ego. Mm. Everyone having their, you know, having their agendas. And you don't see that um, with LeBron and, and Randy, Rich and Mav. In fact, I think, you know, everyone applauds each other when, you know, there's an Emmy one for, for Spring Hill or if there's a new signing for, for Clutch or right. if it's Lobo says now that's coming and they, they come together. Like, I feel that, you know, there aren't any egos in, within that group. And unfortunately, that doesn't exist across the board. As you've dealt with in your career and working with the NBA, you unfortunately see a lot of egos. You see a lot of entitlement. None of them were entitled. You know, when these guys go broke, where, where are those people that were hanging on? Where are those people that they were getting paid? You know, they were flying out on private jets with, with so-and-so and going to the Virgin Islands and getting drinks paid for and getting their suite paid for. And then all of a sudden, this person is no longer playing and the money runs dry and those people are nowhere to be found. So, um, those people always had one agenda and that was just to be a yes person to that, to that athlete because they knew that they would be able to like reap the, the benefits of being their yes person, which was living the same lifestyle that the athlete was, but not bringing in any income, you know, not being an asset to that athlete. So you actually are helping rather than while you're out there partying and doing all this stuff and shopping and going on these trips, you weren't empowering your, your, your friend. You were just a leech. And if you would have had the capability and the mental capacity to realize like, wait a minute, this is all fun and games in the beginning. But like, I have a position here where I can help empower him to that next level. Like I can work like his main job is on the field or like on the court while he's doing that work. Let me go like start having these conversations with some of these brand people. Let me go start having some conversations with some of the people in the community. So I can bring it back to so-and-so and say like, hey, you know what? Like, this is what we can do, you know, off the court and during off season. But rather than that, they're just too worried about, you know, getting that next like Gucci jacket or, you know, getting on that next trip, going to Mastro's and ordering that, you know, expensive bottle of wine or, you know, so unfortunately, um, there's too many of those people out there to this day still. That's why you have to have these um, educational seminars and summits and just, you know, when you have, you know, rookie symposiums. You know, but the the athlete has to be able to want to listen rather than it going being them being bored to tears like, yo, I'm getting out of here. It's just a certain it's just a different mindset, I think, that starts. You know, it can start early, or like I said, that one that one athlete that we had that wasn't really mature, that was kind of just, you know, goofing off Mm -hmm. and now four years later, a completely different person. Completely different. That's so awesome. I love that. Thank you for like breaking it down because it really is important in this space that we're in, the people who are supporting the athletes to understand what they're up against or something they can glean from your conversation here. What a again a testament to Mav, Maverick. Rich and Randy, all of those guys definitely have really paved the way and made great strides and continue to wish them well in a lot of what they're doing. You know, I wanted to transition in your life sort of beyond the sports piece. And one of the things I wanted to touch upon, you know, we're friends here, you know, professionally, we hear about the great things that you're doing. But, you know, I saw that you shared a story, uh, if you don't mind, about your health on you know, social media, what do you want people to take away from your story? Because it was powerful. I did not know that. And it just humanized you 
to a larger degree the need to be that brave and to um, really that open because I do think people see you and you're going around and you're doing these things and they feel like, oh, she's got the greatest life in the world. It can't be anything wrong. And then, bam, you hit us with that. And I'm like, wow, what do you want people to take away from your story? Well, for those that um, don't know, because they probably don't know what you're referring to. So I shared recently, you know, I have been battling like hypothyroidism for four years. But I say that to say because I also for almost two full decades, um, you know, battled with anorexia. And so, you know, when you, when you, are, you have issues with your thyroid, you know, you gain weight. <laughs> and so, um, and also too, you know, I'm at the age in my life where, you know, women are going through their bodies changing and they're going to hit that, that time where menopause kicks in. And so... I, I, I am very transparent in my posts and very thoughtful in them because that's not talked about a lot. And women um, in particular, especially with menopause, don't, don't talk about it. It's like, don't say anything about it. Like, and we're all going through it. We all will have to go through it at some point in our lives. And I wanted people just to know, like, you're not alone. And yeah, like you said, people are like, oh, it's glitz and glamour. You you know, you work for this company and you're out and you're doing this and you got the Super Bowl and you're doing this and you're doing that and going here and going there. But at the end of the day, like if my health is not okay, then none of that matters. Yep. And so um, I need to stop and breathe and, you know, make sure that I take care of me because I'm the only person that can do that. You know, I, I'm not married. Um, I don't have children. And so... You know, I have to make sure that Stacy is okay. I'm just talking about myself in third person. <laughs> that sounds terrible. But that I'm okay. And the most important thing, not only just physically, but mentally and most importantly, spiritually, so that I can be my best self, not just for work, but I can be my best self for my sisters and my parents and my niece and my nephew and my friends. And so I just felt it was, you know, my calling to, you know, share my story. And I can tell you the amount of DMs and text messages I received were overwhelming. And, you know, I'm going through that too, or, you know, I'm feeling a certain way about this. And it, um, you know, and you just kind of create your own. And, and I haven't heard from some of these people like in, in like seven to 10 years, which is crazy, crazy. So, you know, I feel that, you know, that's not for everyone. I'm not, not meaning like you have to share everything, but mm-hmm. like, you know, if I can, as I, and I, as I ended the post, I said, if I can help one person, through sharing my story, then I went through what I went through for that purpose. You know, I always say that God never, you know, he gives you a mess only for you to have a message mm-hmm. or gives you a test for you to have a testimony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's what I'm here for. That, that, that's, I'm, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to be able to share it and not just internalize and keep it and have, and have shame from it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you know, we can tell obviously faith is a big part of how you've been super successful. You know, what good is to having faith and not, tested every so often right <laughs> so knowing what you get to do you do get to do a lot of great things what's the fa- your favorite part about getting to do what you do i'm a people person i which is crazy because when i'm home i'm a hermit i never leave my house like i finally <laughs> went to the gym the other day and that doesn't mean i don't work out i have a peloton i'm in another room back there and i have my peloton i have my weights i have my yoga mat and so when COVID hit, like I was always at the gym, but when COVID hit, like I immediately ran out and got the Peloton. And then I was like, I never left my house. And so I think I'm used to that. But all that to be said, like I get to travel a lot for work, right? So um, I just enjoy being around people, like and good people. And, you know, 
So whether it's, I'm in LA and I'm up in the office, because regardless of COVID, I've always been, I've been working, I've worked remotely for the company since I've been a part of the company. Yeah. Just, you know, and also just networking. I love, I love being around like a Super Bowl and all-star and all these big temple events, you know, and just, it feels like a reunion, like, you, you know, like seeing you, like yeah. the last time I saw you, it was in Chicago at all-star, right? Yes, that's and so right. we have like, this sports fraternity of people that have been like two decades in the, you know, in the making and, you know, mm-hmm. seeing everyone coming together. I think that to me, outside of like the actual work that I do on a day-to-day basis, that's what I enjoy. And it's not going to the game and it's not going, you know, to the Super Bowl. It's literally being around the colleagues and the peers that I have, you know, gathered and have been friends with and had these this 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 commonality of sports and entertainment for two plus decades. So that's to me, that's the favorite part my you know, my favorite part. You know, and as someone who works in this athlete and talent, working with high achieving, high profile talent. That's one thing besides the the events is you got to love people. You got to really love the art and science of breaking down. How do I work best with this person? How do I build with this person? This person gets me. I get them. We can help our talent be better if we come together. I think you hit on something amazing and things that are overlooked. You got to love people to be in this developing things for people, developing content, developing talent, developing a brand. You kind of like people. Would you, would you not agree? Oh, 100%. Because I don't just deal with the talent. I deal with their agent. I deal the with agent, the, their you know, spouses. Their team. Yeah, everything, everything, their kids. And then being on the branded side, I mean, you know, I'm dealing with the brand and the client, you know, and then internal, like, because talent touches every, every scope of every department. So, you know, creative to our social team, because then they have to do their social posts. So it's like, yeah, you're not just in accounting and just processing invoices, which is fine. I'm just, that's just not my, that wasn't, you know, I didn't go into school for accounting and I, I, I probably would have failed. Um, but, you know, yeah, I've, I've always been that people person. Ever since I've been a little girl, I've always been like, when am I going to go spend the night at someone's house? When am I going to go to grandma and grandpa's? When am I going to go to Tia's? Like, I always wanted to be out and about like, all the time. Mm-hmm. And my middle sister, not at all. Does not want to, she's just not. And it's funny because she's actually a PE teacher. Um, so, she, you know, she's teaching, you know, fifth and sixth graders. But all that being out and like socializing, heck no, that's just not her personality. You know, and that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think that's to me, that is such a rewarding part of this job is just being able to be amongst the people. And I know it sounds so corny to be amongst the people, but you know, like just our peers and our colleagues that we've had these relationships with for years and years. What's what are you most proud of when you look back at all the work that you've done? Uh, what I guess accomplishment or accomplishments have brought you uh, the most joy what you are proud of most about your career thus far because it's not over but if you were to pinpoint something what would it be yeah it's you know it's not emmys it's not the work that i've done i think it's being able to be a mentor um to people in this in this industry and Mm -hmm. um you know i work with someone now that he considers me his mentor and you know i've seen his growth throughout the four five years that we've worked together um when we met, 
when we were, you know, the Magic Johnson Foundation, mm-hmm. uh, Mr. Johnson, uh, we had the Taylor Michael, Sch- Taylor Michael Scholarship Program. And mm-hmm. he required every employee to be a mentor to um, at least one student in that program. I took on three students and wow. to see, um, you know, just watching their, you know, career. And some of them now have gone on and married and families. And, you know, some are, you know, working in the White House, you know, when President Obama was there, um, you know, to see the success of these young, these young students when they came in, you know, you know, very early age and in, um, in their life. Right. And so, like you said, having those programs and knowing that we had, we did the work in the community and we saved lives and we impacted lives. Um, you know, that part of, of just being in this industry, um, to me is the most rewarding. For, for me, I I mean, I, I love, you didn't put an accolade, you didn't put a big Emmy out there. You put your ability to, to help someone else, like you're paying it forward. You've been like that. I could truly say, you know, that's a innate quality to you that you're, you're extremely, you know, humble about how and all your accomplishments, you continue to be like that. So don't change, stay like that for. <laughs> If I haven't changed for twenty six years in this business, it's it's it's, it's most likely not going. And if I did, my mom would be right 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 here by my side, like whipping me into shape. She might weigh all of a ninety five pounds soaking wet, but let me tell you, she is a force to be reckoned with. So don't don't make don't make Olivia mad. <laughs> nah, you you're doing amazing. Keep doing it for anyone like student, college student you know, high school, high achiever, someone who might want to um, make a move, whether it's an athlete or a professional looking to do something great. What advice um, would you give them when they go out and maybe they strike out or they go out and they, they even win and they're successful? What? How do you balance that? Because you've had a lot of success and ups and downs, personal and professional. What do you, what do you advise them? Their transitions to trying to the best thing. I mean, just don't give up hope. I mean, I mean, it's very simple. Like if you get frustrated and you know you apply to sixteen jobs and you get sixteen rejections, like it's okay, it's gonna happen. And you know, it happened to me. But just don't give up hope, and also just be someone that you know. I don't want to use the word gracious, but um, you have to have it. Your outlook, and I'm not saying wear like rose-colored glasses. But there are a lot of worse things in life than like getting rejected from like a dream job, right? And so you never know that dream job may come up five years later down the road and it just wasn't the right time. Um, so just challenge yourself every day to be better than you were the day before. And I know that sounds so cliche, but I mean, it really, really, truly works. And don't be afraid. Like I said, don't be afraid of rejection. Like I could have told Mr. Johnson, like I want to work for him and that could have been it, right? But it was, you know, in my DNA to make sure that, you know, I made my voice heard. Um, and, and also, yeah, make sure you, you have a voice and use it because, you know, it's, it's such a old saying, but it is. It's so true. And in any aspect of life, it's like a closed mouth doesn't get fed. He would have had no idea that I wanted to work for him if I didn't speak up, you know? So it could have been, you know, as simple as, oh, hey, remember you from earlier? Okay, bye. Um, but I was just, I was determined. And so, you know, you, you don't have to have it within yourself and within your soul. But I am telling you now, especially now in this day and age with Instagram and social media, and there's just 
I mean, it, it, you can just get so lost in all that. A lot of that stuff is, is just stuff. It is not reality. Um, and what you are living in day to day is your reality. So you have to make sure like, is your house clean? Meaning not like, is your legitimate house clean? But is everything around you cleaned up? Is everything in order, organized? Is everything in order? Um, and that's another thing, Matt, like is, is everything, is everything in order? And mm-hmm. so, you know, make sure that is tight. Um, and again, and also just don't be afraid to ask questions. Cause, and I always, when someone's like, that's a, well, I have a dumb question. I'm like, no, it's not a dumb, every, there's not a dumb question. Um, right. So don't be afraid to ask questions and, you know, don't be afraid to, you know, intern and because, because you're not making any money. And that's the other thing. It's like, well, that's, that's not paid. It doesn't matter. Guess what? Like I made $25 mm-hmm. a day, you know? So, you know, and if it's your passion, then then go for it. And if, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, there's going to be something else that comes along. So just don't feel rejected. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you, you're one of the pioneers, in my opinion, when you think about uh, women doing the work that they do in sports, because it is male-dominated. You know, how do you think society can do a better job respecting women when it comes to positions that they can rightfully do as well as a man, if not better, in sports entertainment? How do you think it can get better for women? What should be happening? What should we be doing? Men should not be intimidated by powerful women, you know, because we're only there to, you know, help you shine, but allow us a seat at the table. Even if there's only one, which it shouldn't be, but don't be intimidated by having a female at the table and don't label her as aggressive. When you see the the man would do the exact same thing and he'll be like applauded. Oh, that was, he was assertive. Great job. Great job. Oh. (laughs) She's super, she's super aggressive. Like she's just, and using aggressive in a, in a negative connotation, you know, and I, I feel that it's just such a stereotype. There's so many more females in this industry than when I first started, but they're not still not enough. And there's still not enough women of color. And we need to see more women in leadership positions. You know, if you go around and you look at teams and you look at the front office and you look at, you know, executives, you know, it's still predominantly white male. I mean, is, yes, mm-hmm. is it getting better? I don't want to use the word better because it's not great, but you are seeing mm-hmm. some progression, but it's taking a lot. It's taking too long, but it's great. All like in the past, like past five, seven years, you're now seeing like female referees and female head coaches. So it is happening. But again, it's not like we're taking your job. That's one thing I want to emphasize. We're not taking your job. We are along mm-hmm. to help and, and to help be creative, help be innovative, bring new thought and new, you know, just new ideas because the sports industry for a long time. And if you look at the owners, the ownership, we all know it's, it's, there's no diversity. I mean, it's very, very rare. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it, as they always say, it always starts from the top from leadership. So that's why, again, to our company and having Mab, like he has, you know, made sure that the diversity of the company, not just as far as gender, but as far as also as far as, you know, ethnicity. I mean, if you looked at uh, just in our office, it's tremendous. I think we're probably one of the only companies that I know of that is, you know, where we should be as far as the, the makeup of the company. And if more companies and more leadership executives um, took the time 
to invest in their employees in that way, I think people in companies would be more successful. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how do you empower the, the women who are coming along in this industry in terms of what they can be doing to come up? I find that employer uh, and athlete development, women do this job phenomenal. We have the Chris Chins, we have the Leah Wilcox, we have the Carmens out there. We have you, like, you all are, like, if I had a book, you know, Dr. Yolanda Book Brooks, like, there are people who are out there who have been doing it a long time and doing it exceedingly well. And there are young women who are saying, I don't see anybody or sense there's people out there. What what can you say to them about being in this and making sure that they're they're getting where they need to be in terms of advice from you? What would you advise if we could get a few, you know, words for you in that space of talking to the women who who are wanting to be in the Stacey Garcia's places? Well, I always say, don't be a party girl, be a PR girl. Like, so as you know, like you can be a, a PR woman and that comes along with like how you service your clients, right? So, hey, your clients wants to go to the SBs and be on the red carpet. Well, service your client and not yourself. So what I mean by that is like your client is the one that had the invite. You don't need to attend the party with him. <laughs> They're grown adults. <laughs> yeah. And they don't need to be their handheld. Um, and if they do say, hey, come along to this, like you have to just be mindful because of optics. I hate to say it, but going back, like there is a difference as far as perception is reality to some people. So it's like if you're out at the ESPYs the party until, you know, three o'clock in the morning. And I mean, again, now I'm not saying not to go enjoy yourselves, but you need to prioritize um, what is more important to you? Is it is it going to these events and these functions, or is it longevity in this industry? And you quickly weed out the ones that just want to go to the parties because their client will eventually see that, or someone on their team, their family will eventually see that, their employer may see that. So make sure that you're in this business for the all the right reasons and not for your, your self serving reasons. Very good. Now we're going to end this on a good note. I love this part. We don't end the hit show without something with, I guess, a little fun called the speed round. This is where I give you a question. You have like two seconds. Don't even think about it. Respond and give it right back to me. You ready? Ready? I'm good at family feud, so let's go. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. All right. What do you do to relax and be stress-free? <laughs> Oh, I wish you could see him right now. Hang out with my dogs. They're my world. And what are the names? Ollie and Aaliyah. Aaliyah! Come here, girl. What's the best place you've ever vacationed? Uh, Greece. Oh, nice. Who or what inspires you to get up and get going every day? My family. What's one interesting thing we did not learn about you on this podcast? Well, now you just learned that I'm a dog mom of two. They are my world. <laughs> What's one of your favorite shows to watch? Oh, it's coming back tonight. Woo, woo, woo. Um, inside the NBA. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Literally. If I mean, people think do. like, oh, like, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't do any reality TV. I don't do any of the housewife stuff. Don't do any of hip hop, whatever that, no. So like a family feud, I watch every night when I'm cooking. And yeah, my favorite sports show, um, you need to ask show, but literally my favorite show is Inside the NBA because those guys just crack me up. It's better than the games nine times out of 10. 
Yeah, they, they've got the support cast too with all the tech and it makes it super fun because those guys do things on the fly and make it really funny for them. It almost surprises all the guys on how creative their team is. So I love that part about it. their responses to everything they get put up on the screen. Now, next question. If you could do a project in sports entertainment with one person, past or present, who would that be? Alan Iverson. Nice. What thing do you do daily that would surprise people? I, well, probably not surprising people for now, but um, I'm going to say I have a morning and uh, a night um, daily devotional. Um, I do cook. Oh, <laughs> people nice. might not think that I cook since yeah. it's just me. Oh, I cook and they, and they get, oh, I cook for my dogs every morning and every night. Mm, those dogs, they get some good treatment on Facebook, man. They live in the life. <laughs> yeah. If anybody could see her and what she does with her. Your dogs, you would be like, <laughs> these dogs are really, really well taken care of. And last question, if you could do one thing to create a major impact in the world, what would it be? I mean, there's just so many. Um, I, you know, I've suffered from depression before. I To have people not live in it and know that, um, that there's help, whether it's medicine, whether it's meditation, whether it's, I mean, prayer. It's just, you know, it's just not a good space um, to live in and which then turns into can be suicide, can be, you know, loss of job. Uh, it can be there can be so many things, I think. Um, and I don't use the word mental health. I just use because I think I don't want to say that it's like an overused term because it's definitely not. I think now we're just talking about it more. But from a personal from personal experience, I I would say, you know, just being able to let people know that. You know, even though you're going through a rough time right now, it will it will end. And unfortunately, some people don't understand that and don't know how to cope. Um, and it just leads mm-hmm. to such an array of other other problems, either mentally, physically, um, you know, internalizing stress and all that. So I would say being able to help um, just eradicate people that you know depression. And I know that's not possible, but that would be one of them. Well said. Well said. Thank you for participating in the speedy round. And that was real important that you not rush that with last response. So we thank you for that, for the mental health and the wellness of people mentally and emotionally. It's so important right now. We we'll keep reiterating that, that people who need help, you know, in that space, find someone trusted and get the proper support at the level that you needed at to best help you and your loved ones. So, Trick, Stacey, I'm, I'm interested in how do we stay in, up on you and follow up on all things Stacy. What are your social handles so we can support you, encourage you, develop you, consume what you're doing and support your many facets of excellence that you are pursuing? Um yeah, Instagram and Twitter is it's the same, just Stacy J Garcia and it's Stacy with an E Y. All right. Good. We want to thank you, Stacy, for being on the show. We on the hit show don't end the show without our signature guest outro. So the last thing I want you to say is I am Stacy Garcia and you have listened to me on how I transition on the hit show. Ready? Yes. I am Stacy Garcia and you have listened to me on how I have transitioned on the hit show. All right. I'm Kevin Carr, CEO, Pro to CEO. And again, we want to thank you for listening to this show. This show is brought to you by the Institute of Coaching Excellence at the University of Florida. If there is an athlete, artist, executive, high achieving person who's in transition out there who needs help, coaches included, 
we want to help you listen to our podcast, reach out to the Institute because we want to help people be excellent. Thank you for being on the show, Stacey Garcia, myself, Protocio, and the University of Florida. Thank you and your dogs very much. <laughs> Thank for you for being having with us. us. <laughs>